Well, this morning we have a special guest with us who is going to uh, bring the word and kick off our Gone series. So you probably, many of you might know him. It is Andy King, the executive director at Dream Center, is here with us this morning. So Andy, if you want to come up and join me on stage, I tell you, in the year that I've been here, I am so thrilled about the Kingdom Builder partners we have, and especially for what Andy's doing with his work at Dream Center and as he gives folks who don't have a lot of dignity uh, a, a need to experience compassion and need to figure out purpose. As he walks alongside of them, they're doing fantastic work. And so I'm so excited that he's here to bring God's word to us today. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good morning. Everyone well? Good, good. Did you notice that Rich that was up here also had an English accent? Yeah, taking over one by one. Um, no, no, it was great, great to hear what uh, Lifesong are doing and um, amazing ministry that they've got going on. And I want to thank you for inviting me today uh, to come and uh, bring God's word. And I'm not really going to be talking at all about Dream Center. I'm going to really dive into the scriptures and uh, really look at the assignment that I was given uh, as I came uh, to speak today as you guys journey towards Easter. Easter's only two weeks away. This year's flying by. I don't know about you. I remember at Christmas I had COVID and I was like, man, this is going to be forever getting better. And now we're already uh, in, in nearly in April, which is crazy. But today I want to journey with you as we go towards Easter. I want to look at um, some places that Jesus went to right around that time. We're looking at places that Jesus went. And wherever he went, he had purpose. There was a reason why he went there. Most of the time it was to tick the religious people off. I'm being absolutely honest. And so today we're going to be delving into not just where Jesus went, but why did he go to these places? We're also going to be finding out what he was trying to teach us today, all those years ago. You see, for three years, Jesus had been stirring a bit of trouble up, leading up to Easter and his death. He, he did have a way of getting in with the religious leaders and the Pharisees of his time. The, the Pharisees were like this, this sect. They were the guys that would look after the traditions of Israel. They were there to make sure things were be, being done right. As you follow the life of, story, uh, life of Jesus, this story starts to unfold. And you start to see that wherever he goes, he's actually trying to reset people's minds, not just for then, but for now. Over and over again, you see this coming through where Jesus goes and the stories that he tells. He's trying to change what people had already known for years. And so today, I want us to go and try and hear the heart of Jesus in those, those few months before Easter. Now, there's so many accounts that we could look at, but I want us to look at Luke 7, 36 to 50. Now, it's a long passage, and so I'm just going to uh, go through it with you so that you can 
just see where Jesus is at this time. This whole scripture is really about grace and forgiveness. You see, Jesus had been invited to one of these Pharisees' houses for a meal. And I think when Jesus got that type of invitation, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll come and hang out with you guys. And so he enters this home in Luke 7, and it says that he is there for a meal, and he sits down. In fact, it says he reclines. When you recline at a meal or when you recline in someone's house, it means you're going to be there for a while. And so as he reclines, this woman appears. It says in the scripture that this woman was a woman of the city. Now, the scripture doesn't go in depth into what that means. But what around that time that meant was this lady was a lady of sin. Someone who had done wrong and she was known within the city for that. It could have been prostitution. It could have been, it could have been theft. It could have been... Um, adultery. We, we don't know. It doesn't say that, but we do know that she is a woman of the city. She comes in, and as Jesus is reclining, she starts to weep. And when I say weep, she is weeping like crazy. Enough to where she gets onto her knees, and her tears are hid in Jesus' feet. And then she takes her hair and starts to wipe his feet with the tears. She she then, as she's crying, she starts to kiss his feet. And I could just imagine the Pharisees and the people around there are now getting a little uncomfortable. As she's kissing her feet, she then pulls out some perfume and pours the perfume on his feet. And it's at this point that Jesus actually answers a question that hasn't been asked verbally. Luke 7:39 it says, "Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is." And who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. And remember, he hasn't said this out loud, but Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. At that moment, I could imagine Simon going, Well, I didn't say anything. (laughs) And Jesus goes on to talk in terms of a Pharisee. Jesus was the best storyteller that walked the planet. He knew how to get people's attention. He also knew how to talk in their language. And he starts talking about two money lenders, two people with debts. And these, these guys had two different debts. One was really big, one was really small. But he starts talking about how the moneylenders were both forgiven for two different debts. They were both forgiven. Whether it was little or much, they were both 
forgiven. And you could see in the room, they're trying to figure out what Jesus is trying to say. And he's looking at what's going on in the room. The lady is still wiping his feet. She had come to Jesus with this pure heart. Yes, with many sins, but with a pure heart. It was a heart of sorrow, a heart of conviction, a heart of repentance. And Jesus makes this very clear to everyone in the room. He turns to the Pharisees and he says, When I entered the house... From these dusty roads, no one washed my feet. No one gave me water to clean my feet. But this lady, she not only wipes my feet, but she wipes my feet with her tears. She, she anoints my feet with perfume. Normally you would anoint my head with oil, but no, no, she anointed my feet with perfume. Then in Luke 7, 47, it says this. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven from that one action of wiping his feet with her tears. You know, a few weeks ago, I was sitting at the Dream Center one Friday afternoon. I was thinking, what should we do tonight? So I called my wife. I said, I'm going to ask you to do something that, that's going to be a bit unusual. She said, I said, she said, what? What do you want to do? I said, why don't we go and see a movie? Why don't we go and see a Christian movie? Now, if you know me, I'm pretty critical on the Christian movies, right? Uh, just because I feel movies should be done with excellence, and sometimes they're not. I'm just being honest. <laughs> but I'd heard about this Jesus revolution. This movie that's just come out, I don't know if you've heard about it, but I said to her, let's go. And the reason what prompted me was our maintenance guy at the Dream Center was a part of this. His wife got saved at this church. This, I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. Sorry, I might give the movie away, but I'm sorry. Um, but he was a part of it, and I'd been talking to him, and he's like, you've got to go and see the movie because it's right on what happened. And so this, this film is a true story. It focuses on three people. It focuses on Pastor Chuck Smith, who is played by Kelsey Grammer. Remember Frasier? Yeah. Um, Lani Frisbee, who is played by the guy who plays Jesus in The Chosen. And it also focuses on a character called Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is one of the biggest churches in America right now and does a huge crusade every year called Harvest Crusade where thousands of people get saved. But the story focuses on a two or three year period in the 60s and 70s 
There's this small church with this pastor, and this church is struggling. It's dying, it's aging, it's a traditional church. And one day, this pastor's daughter meets this hippie, this guy called Lani. Lani has had this radical encounter with Jesus, and he's got a bunch of his hippie friends that are also, at that time, having this crazy encounter with Jesus. And so the pastor gets friends with, with uh, Lani and his friends. And before you know it, Lani is living in this pastor's house. And what's happening is these friends are now starting to come to this small little church. People in the church are a little upset. The folks that are coming in are unkept. They've got long hair. They've got tattoos. They smell a bit. They wear shoes, sandals, or even no shoes or sandals. They're, they're not really what the church was designed for. At least that's what they thought. The church explodes to the point where they can't contain the people in the church. They have to rent a tent. They get this tent and it's exploding at the seams. They can't keep the people there. There's so many. But before they got the tent, one of the elders approached the pastor. And this is the scene that stuck with me as I was preparing for this message. The elder meets with the pastor and he's complaining. He's like, um, these folks that are coming in, they're not our type. They're not who we saw the church would be for. I mean, pastor, have you looked at our carpet? We had a brand new carpet and now it's getting all dirty because some wear shoes, some don't. And the next scene is something that stood with me and has stayed with me, especially with what we do at the Dream Center. Because the line outside is as long as normal and everyone's wondering why they're not getting in and you follow the line to the front doors and at the front doors there's the pastor on his knees washing everyone's feet so they could encounter Jesus. And as I thought of that scene and as I thought of this woman wiping Jesus' feet, I kept thinking, God, why are you telling us about this in this scripture? Do we need a bit of a shake-up in church as to how we look at people and not only look at people but love people? The religious leaders at that time were a bit like that elder. We can't do this. It's not the way it's been done. And yet from that, the Jesus movement happened and there was... Thousands of people saved, even to this day, there's a guy working at the Dream Center that got saved at that church that literally gives his life for people 
day and night at the Dream Center. So as you look at this scripture in Luke, and even as you look further on in Luke, you see that Jesus is constantly trying to paint this picture to people about forgiveness, about grace, about his truth. And when you go further on into Luke, you start seeing it even more. And I wanted to zone in on another scripture, if that's okay, in Luke 15. Luke 15, again, you see Jesus with the Pharisees and the religious people. And there's mumbling and there's murmuring about this Jesus character. And so instead of just just telling them something, he he tries to demonstrate it. He talks in their language. and, And we get to Luke 15. And this is what it says in 15 verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me ask a question before I move on to this scripture. Are people talking about who you are hanging out with? Jesus was known for the type of people that he was hanging with. It wasn't so that he could do what they were doing. He was doing it so he could be a light to them. He was doing it so that he could bring life to them. See, when you are representing Jesus, he puts you in places where there's a crowd so that you can be Jesus to them. So Jesus is hanging out with some bad people, like seriously bad people, con artists, prostitutes, pimps, thieves. He's eating with them. Now let me tell you about eating back there. It wasn't like McDonald's drive through It wasn't grab and go. Eating was a big deal in Israel. For some, it would go on for, for hours. When it's feast time, it would go on for days. You see, eating back then was intimate. It was committed. It was relational. It was you wanting to get to know people. So when it says that Jesus was eating with people, eating with these sinners, he was actually trying to get to know them. He was committed for the long haul. In fact, in Matthew 11, verse 19, Jesus, he's even viewed as a glutton because he's eating so much with these people. And so these religious folks are going on and on about the people that he's being with. The tax collector, the adulterers, the liars, the thieves. Can I just make something clear? At that time, the religious folks were were really the logical men. They actually did get it right. These people were bad. The, the 
Pharisees, the religious leaders, they weren't ignorant men. They were logical men. They were men of sound mind. These are men that would read the scriptures and were trying to lead the people at that time. They were normal. But Jesus was wanting to be with people that needed him. Jesus was with people that were crying out for help. These people that Jesus were with loved sinful ways. And he, he knew the end goal, right? He knew what was going to happen at Easter. The people around him really didn't know what was going on, but he knew what was about to happen. So all these guys are like throwing this stuff at him, like, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with these people? And so Jesus starts to teach a lesson. He turns to the crowd and tells them three short stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The lost sheep. Let's start there. Matthew 15, 3 to 6 says, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in an open country and go after the one that is lost until it's found. And when, he was, and when he is found, he will lay the sheep on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the lost sheep. Again, Jesus picks something that's very relatable. Around Israel, there is sheep everywhere. My mind, when I read this, always goes to Wales. Okay, I'm from England. My dad is from Wales. They're not the same country. Just so, like, it's a bit like me turning to you guys saying, so you guys are from Canada. <laughs> no, you're not, right? You're from America. Same thing. It's right, it's attached to England. You know, we, we, we let them stay there. You know what I'm saying? Um, but Wales is known for their sheep. There are more sheep than humans. And um, I think we've got some people. Yeah, here, here we are. Now, that's my daughter there. She's now 18. This is how long ago it was when we went to England. But, um, but the sheep, there's this place called the Rhonda Valley, which is near where my dad um, grew up. And um, you can drive up to the top of the Rhonda Valley, just like what you saw, you get bread out, and then the sheep just come. They're crazy. They just come for the food. And even ice cream. We bought ice cream, and they're having the ice cream. I mean, it's weird. And so there's sheep everywhere. This actually, has anyone ever seen The Crown? The show The Crown? Um, so it's a show on Netflix about the queen and stuff like that. If you've ever seen The Crown, there is, an, there is a, something that happened in 1966 where there was a mining disaster. And the queen was very young in her reign, and um, they encouraged her to go because this mining disaster, uh, the, the hillside just went and literally slid over the village and killed um, like 144 people. 
116 were kids in a school. And so it was a big thing that happened. And this happened just a few miles from where my dad grew up in South Wales. In fact, my dad remembers. I talked to him and, and uh, said, do you remember that? He's like, yeah. He, he said, it just, just sh- shook the whole village. It shook the whole South Wales. And I remember being on top of that valley and looking down at the Rhonda Valley and thinking about this story. What Jesus was saying was, listen, you've lost one sheep. Leave the 99 in an open land. They weren't even penned in. Leave them and go and look for the one. Now, this is a crazy story. I'm not good at math. That's why my wife does our our accounts. That's why I have an incredible accountant at the Dream Center. That's not a strength. So you give it to someone who has strengths like that. For me, I'm not good at math. But I know that leaving 99 to go after one is bad math. I would say count your losses. It's only one sheep, right? That one probably will end up on a dinner plate somewhere in England. We like sheep, we like lamb to eat, just so you know. But this valley, there's, there's 99 now you've got to worry about. But Jesus says, we will go out and we will find the one. We'll put it on the shoulders and then we are going to throw a party. You could imagine the religious folks looking at each other like, what is this guy on about? So as they're trying to figure this out, why would you leave 99 for one? Why would you go after just one? He then hits them with another story. Luke 15, 8 through 10, it says, Or there's a woman having ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the one coin. So here now we have a lady who's lost one coin. And it says she sweeps the house. When you look at the translation, the original translation of the word sweep, it means to turn the house upside down, to trash the place. Lift the cushions, look under the couch, whatever you've got to do, we've got to find this coin. This happens in our house daily with a thing called the remote control. I mean, whoever invents them, they must laugh. Like, we'll make it as small as it can be. It'll be able to go down the side of the couch. Like, you know what it's like when you're looking for the remote control. But this lady is trying to find this coin. Again, me, I'd be like, lady, count your losses. You've got nine. You're okay. You don't need the one. Move on. 
But God's math is for the minority. He leaves the 99 for the 1. He puts the 9 aside just to look for the 1 coin. Jesus is trying to get our attention here. While I was studying this this week again, I, something hit me. And I feel it's really important, especially in the time of, of what's happened in the last few years with COVID. And I think Jesus does it on purpose for today. Because you notice every time that someone has been found or something has been found, whether it's the sheep or whether it's the coin... He makes it a big deal not to rejoice on their own. It says, call the neighbors, call your friends. We're going to celebrate together. It's hard to celebrate together when you're on your own. That's why I feel the church is so important to gather together to celebrate what God's doing in your life and in the lives of so many other people. So now Jesus brings this all together with this last story. It's the lost son. We know as the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 through 31. I'm not going to read it all, but let me just just paraphrase it and put a bit of Andy King on it. There are two sons. One is an idiot. Let's be absolutely honest. Let's be honest. This one son takes all the money and goes and wastes it in a far place. In verse 13, it says he's living recklessly. And as you know, sin only lasts for a time. And that reckless living comes to a a halt pretty quick when the money is dried out and the friends are gone and the people that were around him that thought he was cool was no longer cool. And he's now found in verse 16 in a pig pen. He's wanting to eat the food of the pigs. In verse 17 then it talks about him wanting to go back home, not to be the son, but to be a servant. He wants to be an employee at the house. Verse 19, you see him practicing a speech, saying that he's not worthy to be the the son. He's got this speech ready saying, I want to be a servant, dad. I, I don't, I'm not worthy now to be your son. I've blown all your money. Then verse 20, as the son is walking towards the farm, he sees something in the distance. What is, what is that? He sees a man running. He looks closely and he sees that it's his dad running towards him. Now, that's strange in itself because Jewish men at that time don't run. It was undignified. They didn't run. 
But here's his dad running towards the son that has blown all of the money. In verse 20, he embraces the son. In verse 21, it's like his dad is ignoring what the son is saying. He's just holding him. The dad then, they get back to the house and the, the dad is saying, bring the jewels. Bring the best robe. Kill the fatted calf. We're having filet mignon tonight. And they start to have a party. Here's my question. What about the other brother? You see, the other son is working out in the field. And it says in verse 25 that he hears music and dancing. He hears music and dancing. People, you know they're getting down when you can hear dancing. Right? I mean, music's one thing, but to hear dancing, and the son comes in, he's heard the music, he's running in, and he flips out in verse 25 to 31. He's like, you've given this kid clothes, you've given him jewelry, you've killed the fatted calf. And at this point is when we start judging the other son. People, he's the only logical person in the room. He's wasted all this money. He comes home broke. His family have been worried for him for years and they give him a ticker tape parade. At this point, we all start judging the other son for not being happy. But the father comes over to him and says this in verse 32. Once he was dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found. With all three of these stories, there's three things. There's a searching, there's a finding, and there's a celebration. As we lead up to Easter these next two weeks... We should be leading up to a celebration. But these next two weeks, there should be a searching and a finding. Two weeks ago, I was at an event and I met a guy called Ben. He came up to me and he, he said, I hear you work for the Dream Center. Yeah, he said, I'd like to pray for you. I said, great. And, and as he is about to pray for me, he pulls out a of his pocket a small cross. And he said, I carry a cross in my pocket, and all day I just play with it in my pocket. As a reminder for me to be able to look and find someone that I could pray for or tell the story of Jesus to. 
He didn't know what had been going on at the Dream Center at that time. I needed prayer. The folks that we minister to can get very, very heavy, especially with our homeless population at this time. I said, yeah, I need prayer. And it stuck with me about this guy carrying these little crosses, just being ready to make an invitation of either prayer or Christ. And as I was preparing for this, I I felt like God really nudged me and say, give everyone a cross. So as you leave today, you'll be able to get one of these crosses. And I want you to put it in your pocket. You can put it on a chain. There's even a hole in it. Whatever you want to do. And in these next two weeks, as you are around people, and as you are fiddling with this cross in your pocket, be open for God to say, Invite them to Easter. The church are going to present the gospel in a powerful way. That's the hard part sometimes, is what to say. But people are more open to coming to church at Easter than any other time. So as you take this cross, I want it to remind you, during the next two weeks, of it bringing people here. Because... The search and the finding is on right now. We'll celebrate on that last day of Easter. We'll celebrate. But bring people here. So let me finish with this. Luke 7, verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Today, you may be here and you may feel like what I've done in my life cannot be forgiven. I can't find peace. What Jesus is saying is your sins are forgiven. You have to accept that and go in peace. Let's pray. You may be here and this may be the first time that you have heard this story of forgiveness. Jesus wants you to know that there is forgiveness. Whatever you've done. And as I pray, I just want you in your heart to say, that's me. Jesus, that's me. Thank you for giving me. I I want a new start. And at the end of the prayer as you leave, you may want to connect with one of the pastors or go to the welcome area and just say, I was one of those guys that prayed that prayer. I was one of those girls that prayed that prayer. And they'll connect you. Remember, it talked about the celebration together. Don't go on your own. Join this community. Join a community of believers. But know right now that as you pray this prayer, there is forgiveness and it's the start of an amazing journey. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for what you do each and every day in reaching down to earth, showing grace, forgiveness. And I pray for everyone in the room that may be experiencing this for the first time, that they will connect with someone and that they will know 
the peace that this lady had back in Luke 7. Amen. We want to thank you for joining with us today. And in these next few weeks, we will be praying for you as you pray for us that we'd have eyes to see who God has called us to search for and to find and that we can join together and celebrate. Thank you. There are prayer workers on the side of the room. If you would like prayer on your way out, we would love to pray with you. God bless. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week to do it all over again.